Thank you for joining us for a life-changing message from Norm Oberlin, pastor of Mount Hope Church in beautiful Gaylord, Michigan. Our prayer is that this message will help strengthen and encourage your walk with Christ. Please enjoy. And now, here is Pastor Norm. This series that I'm trying to put together or am putting together, there's a reason that I feel it's so important that we all understand what the scriptures teach on where man came from. It is my hope, my goal, to be able to answer some of your questions, perhaps even some of the questions people that you work with have, so that as we go through this study, at the end of it, you're going to be able to say, you know, there is another theory. In fact, I feel it's a more palatable theory than that theory of evolution or the Big Bang. Hear me when I say this, I don't have all the answers. Only God has all the answers. But certainly as we go through the books of the Bible, as we look specifically at the book of Genesis, the very first book, we get a lot of the questions answered if you'll open your heart, open your mind, and just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Amen? Early on in my Christian walk, I didn't really see the importance of this topic. In fact, I kind of just blew it off because for me, it took a lot of time to study things out. And I like to study, but I wanted to get the salvation message down. I wanted to get the understanding of who the Holy Spirit was down before I spent a lot of time on the origin of man and what God says. But then I realized recently how much damage that has done to the church. Why don't we have an answer for people? And what's happening is the non-Christian science community is using that to their advantage and they are pretty much making us look like complete fools. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. There are some scriptures that talk about how we should study the word. In fact, I'd like to share two of them. Work hard so that you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. We're talking about the Bible here, right? Each one of us should have a pretty solid foundation about what the Bible says, and and if you're brand new to the faith, you know, you've got a little time to do that, but for those of us, how many have been in the church for 10 years? You've been a Christian for at least 10 years. 20, keep them up. 30? All right, we we should be able to knock it out of the park when it comes to this topic. But how many can? Anybody raise their hand? How many really have a firm foundation of what the book of Genesis and the creation story says? where you could defend it. Two, three, four, a few of you. You see what I'm saying here? And I include myself in this. I'm having to go back and restudy this stuff because it's that important. Our kids, they're, they're leaving our homes, they're leaving our churches, they're moving on to higher education, and they're running into these godless professors who want nothing less than to shipwreck their faith. They shish kebab our young people. They skewer them. 
You know what I want to see? I want to see our young people so pumped up, so excited, so full of God's word and the truth that they're looking forward to that challenge when that professor stands up and says, oh, are you a Christian? And they'll be able to defend their faith and say, you know what? You have your view, but I believe there's a better way. And they're not going to be ashamed about it. They're not going to have to shrink back from it. They're going to be able to preach the truth in those classrooms because they know what God said. And it's a whole lot easier to believe what God said in the creation story than what the evolutionists and the Darwinians are saying, the Big Bang, coming from monkeys, and yada, and yada, and yada. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What I wanted you to see here quickly is that we are the salt of the earth. We're placed here, once we have been filled with God's Holy Spirit, we've been placed here to bring flavor to the world. And I believe that we have been losing that flavor. We have been losing that salt. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 5.13, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? You can't make it salty again. It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot. It will be worthless. Now, some may say, is that really the context? I believe it is. There is no stronger representation of who God is than what's in this book. This is the truth. That's why I've called this series the foundational truths. They must be our foundation. They must be. And if we build our house on the rock, it will not move when it goes through these storms of life. Amen. Hallelujah. And that's why we can no longer shy away from this argument. We have to study it until we have an understanding of our origins, of where God said we came from. Hallelujah. But if we don't equip our young people, then when they face off with those atheistic professors... Their faith will be destroyed. And that's a shame. I've seen a lot of God-fearing young men and women come up through the ranks, be filled with the Holy Spirit, pumped up for Jesus. Then they go off to U of M or MSU or any of the other big universities. And within a year, those young people have walked away from God. It shouldn't be that way. Here's my challenge to you. Ask God to teach you. Ask God for help in this area. Now, I'm doing this very thing. James 1, 5 through 8. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Don't waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. What I want the world to see is that this book has harmony in it. It's not divided. There's a continuous truth all the way from beginning to end. And when we ask God to teach us, will he? When we ask God for wisdom, what did Solomon ask for? 
He could have had anything on the planet, but he asked God for that one thing. He wanted to know what God had prepared for us. He wanted to know what everything around us meant. And our God will show us if we would only ask. But we have not because we ask not. How many of you have asked God to help you to understand the book of Genesis? Some of you have. Praise God. Every time I study, I do this. Lord, I'm not that bright. Okay? It's the Holy Spirit in me that's, that's the bright one. Amen. And same with you, right, Mac? You know that. But here's the thing. When you ask God, it opens up the heavens. Where's Brother Phil? Is he in here? Open heaven, brother. Right? And God just pours his spirit in us. And I'm telling you, we should not shudder when it comes to these intellectuals because God takes the things that are foolish and he confounds the wise. Hallelujah. And he'll do that with you if you'll just give him that opportunity. So we're going to glide through Genesis chapters 5 and 6. Obviously, beginning with five. Chapter five really talks about the line of Adam, you know, where we all came from, and it gives some time frames about how long they lived. I want to look at that. And then we're going to jump into chapter six. These are both fairly short chapters. Chapter six begins the explanation of the flood, and it also talks about some giants in the land, and we'll get to those in just a minute. So let's begin this study, part one of the flood. And we're going to begin with verse 1 in Genesis chapter 5. You ready? By the way, this is the New Living Testament. Would you stand with me just one more time? Y'all got settled in there now. I'll wake you up again. Father, we are broken people. But we're healed people. Thanks to the blood of Jesus. Thanks to the Holy Spirit, who you told your disciples, when I go, when I sit at the right hand of the Father, I will send the Comforter, the Counselor, an Advisor. He will lead you into all truth. And Lord, we are so excited about what you're doing with the church. We're not done. No way. We're just starting. And I believe we're going to see this wave of your Holy Spirit consume our nation and the globe. And Lord, people are going to continue to get saved and in exponential numbers, hundreds of thousands, Muslims and Buddhists and atheists, they're going to cry out to you asking, Lord, what must I do to be saved? But in the meantime, equip us, Lord. Give us that wisdom that we so need. Teach us your ways, oh God. We pray this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now you can sit down. This is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, he made them to be like himself. 
He created them male and female, and he blessed them, and he called them human. Now, if you've been with us through this whole series, the one thing I kept saying is, God created man. It says it over and over and over, and here we're seeing it again. In black and white, it's right there in those first two verses. God created them, male and female, and he blessed them and called them human. Hallelujah. When Adam was 130 years old, he became the father of a son who was just like him in his very image. He named his son Seth. After the birth of Seth, Adam lived another 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Adam lived 930 years, and then he died. Do you see how long these people are living? You know, I was talking to my son Cameron the other day, and I just said, can you imagine living for almost a thousand years? What you, would, what you would learn over that time, what you would see, I wonder if we'd be going, man, God, just take me home. It's been too long. I don't know. But this is amazing. 930 years Adam lived. Why did men live longer back then? Remember, the sin had just taken place. The fall of man had just happened. And their gene pool was still pure. Well, purer. <laughs> it was tainted already by sin. That was being passed down every generation. But what we see here is these people lived a really long time, and I believe it was because sin had just begun and the earth had not completely broken up yet. And we're going to see this taking place more and more until we get to the flood. And that's when men are going to start to live shorter periods of time. So let's move on to verse 6. When Seth was 105 years old, he became the father of Enosh. Now, Brother Gene, can you imagine having kids right now? Another one? <laughs> I'd be walking out going, all right, let me get your breakfast. <laughs> Come on, let's go. My grandkids have been with me the last couple of days. And, and uh, Tyler, or, or Grant, what is he, six? Five years old. He's like a super ball. You know, you take that, you know what a super ball is? When we were little, we had super balls. You throw that thing in a room, and it just goes bing, 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 bing. And that's what our grandson Grant is like. I'm thinking at 100... And five years old to have a little baby and then to have to raise them. Wow! But I think they were a little better prepared then than, than we are now at 105. They were probably more like we are when we're 20 because they lived longer. Yeah, anyway, I just had to poke at that one. Sorry, Gene. <laughs> After the birth of Enosh, Seth lived another 807 years and he had other sons and daughters. Again, you see that the families are having girls and boys, and we talked about this the last time I spoke on this subject, that they are intermarrying because the gene pool was not corrupted yet like it is today. So today, if you have kids with your relatives, you're probably going to end up with a bad outcome 
But back then, it wasn't that way. Where else would they have gotten their wives? When Enosh was 90 years old, he became the father of Canaan. After the birth of Canaan, Enosh lived another 850 years. He had other sons and daughters. Enosh lived, he only lived 905 years, and then he died. When Canaan was 70 years old, he became the father of Mahalalel. After the birth of Mahalalel, Canaan lived another 840 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Canaan lived 910 years, and then, sorry, am I there? Yeah. And then he died. When Mahalalel was 65 years old, he became the father of Jared. Yared is how you're supposed to say that, I guess. After the birth of Yared, Mahalalel lived another 830 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Mahalalel lived 895 years, and then he died. When Yared was 162 years old, he became the father of Enoch. Now, I love this, this part. After the birth of Enoch, Yared lived another 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Yared lived 962 years, and then he died. Wow. Now hear this, verse 21, when Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close relationship or fellowship with God for another 300 years. So 365 years this man was on the earth, and he had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared because God took him. Now this is the first time we see this in the Bible. God loved Enoch so much that he didn't want him being separated from him. He wanted him, be, he wanted him being right with him. And I, we assume that he's still in heaven with God today. Can you imagine how cool would that be? Clarence, all of a sudden, God says, Clarence, man, I can't stand you driving that truck anymore. You come on home with me now. Wow, Mike, God loved you so much. He just, come on up, Mike. I can't live with you down there anymore. I want you up here with me. Can God do this? Obviously, he can. <laughs> He did, according to the scripture. I think that's awesome. Here's another thing I want to point out. Enoch is mentioned in Hebrews 11, 5, and 6. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And this is, of course, where we get the next verse, verse 6. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The reason I want you to see this again is because the writer of Hebrews is quoting what book? Genesis. Genesis. So if these people can suggest or prove, I use that term loosely, that Genesis isn't accurate, that it really didn't happen, then what are we saying about the writer of Hebrews? He's an idiot. But he wasn't an idiot. He was quoting the Old Testament because they believed it happened. 
just like we believe it happened today. And that's why it's so important. You can't just separate the Bible. You can't rip the Old Testament out and say, okay, I'm just going to live in the New Testament. Uh Uh-uh. It all flows together. And we must, we must keep that in mind as we study these things out. Now, there's one other place where Elijah went up to be with God, and he was taken up a little different. He went up in the chariot of fire. Now, that would be awesome, too, wouldn't it? You know, we didn't see Enoch go up. God just took him home. But they saw Elijah go up. with not, Not just the chariot of fire, but his horses were also described as being of fire. That'd be pretty cool, too. Either way, I'd be all right with it. Verse 25, moving on. When Methuselah was 187 years old, he became the father of Lamech. After the birth of Lamech, Methuselah lived another 782 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Notice that it keeps saying that. What's happening here? They're doing what God told them to do. They're producing children, right? So that the earth would be populated. And when you look at just how many have been born just in the last 10 years, it's over a billion people that have been born just in the last 10 years. I mean, it's unbelievable how fast human beings are reproducing. And that's what they're doing here. Methuselah lived 969 years, and then he died. Now, he was the longest living human being on record. So whenever you see that little trivia question, who was the longest living man in the Bible? Right here. Who was it? Methuselah. Methuselah. All right. Verse 28. When Lamech was 182 years old, he became the father of a son. Hello. Why'd they do that? Because he's an important son. Lamech named him Noah. Noah. Where's Brian? Brian's got a Noah. Ah, he's in somewhere else counting. He's doing the important things. But not as important as being in here. Noah. He said, may he bring us relief from our work. In the painful labor of farming this ground that the Lord has cursed. You remember the curse, right? After the birth of Noah, Lamech lived another 595 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Lamech lived 770 years, 777 years, and then he died. Now remember, Lamech was a guy that I talked about a couple of sermons ago that wrote the poem, kind of boasting a little bit about it. Yeah, anyway. By the time Noah was 500 years old, he was the father of Shem, Ham, and Yepheth. Shem, Ham, and Yepheth. He had three sons. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail today. This ends the chapter 5 of Genesis. But many scholars have already done the math. They have taken the, the lives, the length of lives of these men and added them all together and they plotted out how old the earth is and again this is where the creation scientists get the idea that the earth is a young earth 
We know from Adam out how long we lived, and then they, they just have to do the math in between with the different books and the different uh, ages that are predicted and mentioned in the Bible. You know, the Bible is history. It's his story. It is. And we can trust it. And more and more we keep finding these archaeological digs that prove that the Bible is truth. It might not be exactly like we thought it was, but it proves that what the Bible said can be trusted. Hallelujah. And that's good news. We live on a young earth, not billions of years old. In a future message, and obviously, I hope you understand, I'm, I, we can only talk about so much in, in the short hour that I'm given every Sunday. But I want to talk about how carbon dating and radiometric dating is unreliable. In fact, they use circular reasoning to come up with these big ages, the billions or millions of years old. I want to talk about that later in this series. So just bear with us. You'll hear it eventually. It'll come out if you're not already there through your own studies. I want to move on to chapter 6. This is actually the pre-flood era. They call it the antediluvian era. Basically, it's before the deluge, if you will. So before the, the big flood, this is where we're going to start today. And this is some pretty crazy stuff. You know, there are some things in the Bible I wish we could just skim over and say, okay, we just won't even we won't touch on that one. But I want to touch on this one because there is, has been a lot of talk about who these people are. You ready? Verse 1. Then the people began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. So basically these, as the Bible is calling them, sons of God, are taking any woman they see who looks pleasing to them. She's mine. And they were big enough to do it, apparently. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than what? 120 years. So this is where we start seeing everything going downhill fast. Now there are two things here that I want to bring out. First, there's this naturalistic view of who these sons of God are. They, they believe that According to uh, John 1.12, and in the New King James, it actually where children of God is, it says sons of God. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become sons of God. They're suggesting, or the idea is, that this was kind of a battle between those who loved God and those who didn't, those who were from the line of Cain. And I don't believe that Scripture bears this out at all. In fact, I think it's a real stretch to try to come up with that theory. So that's not the one that I'm going with, all right? Another theory is that these Nephilim, and we're going to talk about them in just a minute, that these Nephilim, or giants, that they were related to kings or nobles. But that doesn't explain why the Bible would have called them giant. Who do you think of when you think of a giant? Goliath? How about some modern day guy Shaq you know Shaq is he every time I see him next to somebody 
He's looking down on them. He's a, he's a giant guy. So these guys were just big, and they could have pummeled you and me probably pretty easy. Hallelujah. Let's read verse 4, and then I want to talk about what the New Defender Study Bible says about this. In those days, and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth. For whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. Some believe that this is a supernatural race here. But I don't believe that's what this is. Let me read from the New Defender Study Bible, and I'd like to quote this. These giants were monstrous progeny of the demon-possessed men and women whose illicit activities led to God's warning of imminent judgment. The Hebrew word is Nephilim, or it means fallen ones, a term possibly relating to the nature of their spiritual parents, the fallen angels. That they were also physical giants is evident from the fact that they used the same word that is later used in connection with the giants in Canaan in, at the time of Joshua in Numbers 13.33. And by the fact that the word here was translated in the Septuagint by the Greek word gigantus. So obviously these were big people and they were somehow driven by these fallen angels. All right, are you still with me? Try to hang on. Moving right along, the next quote on this subject. The antediluvian giants had by the time of Moses become renowned heroes of antiquity as far as the world was concerned. They, like their parents, were probably demon-controlled, their giant stature engineered by genetic manipulations discovered and carried out by these evil spirits. They couldn't have been half-gods, all right? They wouldn't have been half-gods, similar to the Greek mythology. That's not what was going on here. Since such claims or imaginary beings are way beyond the pales of God's creative purpose. Fallen angels are not prospects for salvation, whereas fallen men and women are. A half-angel, half-human would be an impossible anomaly in terms of soteriology. So the only apparent solution to the problems posed by these verses is demon possession of both parents and their children, not demonic marriage or procreation. Are you with me? It's a lot. I mean, I just threw a whole bunch into your lap, and now you've got to sit there and digest it. I've been studying this out for weeks, so it's kind of, I got it. I got it. When you think about how these fallen angels could have manipulated these people into being giants, today we still have technology that's very similar. Can I show you a picture? Not trying to gross you out. I think it's in here. This is a real cow, a real... Troy, do you like that? He, he's working on a farm, and he gets to see these bulls all the time. This is actually... i got to look here. It's called a Belgian blue. They bred this thing to be all muscle. Can you imagine going out and seeing cows like this out in the field? 
he'd be like, dude, I ain't going out there. Hello, I'm your cow. <laughs> the thing is giant. How did they do that? Genetic engineering. As we're going to learn a little bit further out, when we get to the Tower of Babel, man was very smart. We had a lot of things going for us. And I believe that they were a lot smarter than we give them credit for today. And this kind of stuff would not have been outside of their realm to be able to produce these big, giant men. It's a possibility. That's all I'm saying. Can we stand on this and say, oh, we know for a fact this is what happened? No. This is one of those topics where we just have to say, you know what? Here's another way of looking at this. This could have happened this way. Amen? All right. Here's the other thing. We know that all of these giants were wiped out in the flood. And that's going to come next. Verse 5, chapter 6. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And I, I put this in red just so that you would see the human wickedness and the other part there that's in red. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. It broke his heart. Can you imagine breaking God's heart? And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals, the scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them, but Noah found favor with the Lord. The Lord was kind of ticked. Man had let him down again, and not just let him down, but it was so vic wickedly violent as we saw these Nephilim were taking these wives, as many as they wanted. Hey, you're good looking. Get over here. There was an evil on the earth as these people were being driven by these possessed demons. And God just said, I've had enough. I don't want any of it to exist any longer. And he said, I'm going to wipe it all out. But Noah thankfully, found favor with the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Yepheth. Now, God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world for everyone on the earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living things, all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. What a time to live in. Corruption, evil, wickedness, perversion. Sounds like today. Very much like today. How long will God hold his judgment back? How long? 
Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interiors. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. What this thing looked like? Something like this. They are building an ark. Not to save man, but they're building an ark so that we can see that this could have happened. This boat was amazing. If you get the opportunity, and I believe it, I've heard it's going to be finished by July 4th this, this summer at the Answer in Genesis Creation Museum in Kentucky, right, on the, right across from Cincinnati. If you get the chance, go down and see this place. Take your kids, take your grandkids. Teach them God's ways. When we walked out of there, my wife and Andy and, no, my wife and Cameron and myself, and we flew through this place. We had, we had four hours to run through it, and then we had to leave. In that four hours, I, I'm telling you, the exhibits are top-notch, professionally done. They've got giant dinosaurs in there, full-size T-Rexes and stuff like that. I mean, you're just going, oh. it's not cheesy. It's very well done. And in the summer, they have gardens open outside and all that other stuff. But right now, it's just as good a time to go if, if you want to do something outside of, outside, <laughs> if you want to do something inside. There are other museums around the nation, but these guys are just, man, what they're putting together. And this ark is going to be awesome. You're going to be able to go in it. And I suspect that they're going to have fake animals and stuff, you know, to show you what it might be like. I can't wait. I want to go back. I want to go to see this thing. Could the boat, could Noah's ark have been built like this and survived? And could all of what you see around us have been saved by this boat? I believe it could have. I believe it did. Here's what I want you to catch. This boat saved Noah and his family and all the animals. Jesus did the same for you and me. This, this boat was a precursor to what Jesus was going to do on the cross. Yes, it saved man, but Jesus saved man. It was a sign of things to come. Look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood. That will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. They didn't have to go after them. They came to them. 
and be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for all the animals. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded. Now, I'm not getting into this today. I'm going to save it for three weeks, three Sundays from today. I'll be back. I'll be back. You're going to be blessed the next couple weeks with Pastor Roger and Tony, and they're going to be speaking on Sunday. I know they're going to bring a good word. But here's what I want you to catch. Could God have saved all man and all animals and put them on this boat, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high, could this have happened just as the Bible described it? How could he have fit all those animals on there? Dinosaurs? Were they on there? No, they're extinct. We're going to talk about that later. But here, I want to plant one thought in your head just so you can run with this one till we get back together again. God didn't say every animal had to be full grown. In fact, I doubt they were. And I don't know if you know this, but amphibians, reptiles, reptiles, I should say, not amphibians, reptiles, continue to grow until they die. So if you look at some of the lizards that are eight feet long, you've seen some of those Komodo dragons, 10 feet long, they just keep growing. Till they die. How long did people live back then? 900, 960. So just, just for the sake of argument, let's assume that the animals did the same and they lived really long. How big do you think those lizards would get? Really big. We're going to talk about this more later on. All I'm trying to do is give you another way to look at how Man was created by God. And all this other stuff the Bible says that it can be believed. And think about this. We'll talk about it more. But with the smaller animals, assuming they were young, little, little kitties, not big kitties, not lions, but little kitties, you know, it wouldn't take as much food. Because they had to live on this boat for almost a year, right? That's a long time. We'll get into that more. And I know after I go down and see this ark at the Creation Museum, I'll come back with a lot more ideas. But for right now, I'm satisfied with what the Bible says. Now here's something I really want to share with you, and then I'm going to close. Why is it so important that we connect the dots between Genesis in the rest of the Bible. All right here. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 37 and following. When the Son of Man returns, who? Talking about who? Jesus. Jesus. When Jesus returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. You already said that, didn't you? It's just like what I described. Wickedness. Perversion. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. 
that's the way it's going to be when the Son of Man comes. I want to be ready. (laughs) But if we suggest that the book of Genesis is nothing but a fairy tale, then you can say the same thing about the Son of God. Because he's quoting Genesis 6 and 7. You can't separate them. You can't. And when people try, it ruins the faith. We need to understand what our options are. We need to read this book that God gave us called Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. We need to know them all. Because they all have something to say. They all lead to God's salvation, Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? I've already said this, but the flood came on this earth to cleanse the earth. And chapter 6 doesn't talk about it, but the next one and a little bit later does where God said, I'll never do this again. And he left a sign, and that was the rainbow, which had nothing to do with people being gay. Nothing. That was God's sign long before they grabbed it. And he said, when you see that rainbow, just understand, and what's the rainbow made from? Water. When you see that rainbow, let it be a sign that I will never wipe out the earth again with a flood. Now, that doesn't mean we won't have floods, but it won't be worldwide. And God has kept his promise. He's kept his covenant. And just like God cleansed the earth with the flood, because he couldn't tolerate man's sin... He had to do the same thing with us because each of us has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And he does that. He cleanses us through the blood of his son Jesus. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. For Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. That's God's promise. And then it comes to that place where everybody gets to decide. And I've shown this a couple of times now, but I just want to hammer it home. You have to decide who you're going to serve. Is it Jesus? Or is it the God of this world. You say, well, I'm not following Satan. No, but by not doing anything, you default to him. The only way to heaven is through Jesus. You have to be cleansed of your sins, and the only, the only way to do that is to repent to ask the Lord to forgive you. We don't have to fear these days. You know that, right? In fact, we shouldn't fear. 
because that's not from God. But if you're here today, every head bowed, every eye closed, and you'd say, you know what, I, I'm kind of afraid. I, I don't know what would happen if, if God came back for his church today, I think I'd still be here. Or if I died, I'm, I might be in hell forever because I haven't made it to choice. I haven't made a decision for Jesus. If that's you, every head bowed, eye closed. Would you just lift your hand up so I can see it? You need Jesus today. You know it. Yep, yep. Anybody else? Hallelujah. Anybody? You can put them down if you've already raised them. You know what? You might just be saying, hey, I've blown it. I, I have not been following Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's been speaking to me, and I know I need to make a correction in the way that I've been living my life. If that's you, lift your hand up. Hallelujah. Going up all over. Yep. I want to pray with everyone that raised their hand. I'd ask the saints in the room to join us. Everybody that's born again. Would you pray this with me? And if you lifted your hand for either one of those things, just pray this so your own ears can hear your voice. Dear God, I know I'm broken, just like they were at the times of Noah. I need Jesus. I need my sins forgiven. I bow to you today, Lord, and I humbly ask, forgive me of my sins and make me a new person. If I have been a follower, but I've turned away from you, strengthen my walk with you again. Help me to come back like that prodigal son. And today, April the 3rd, 2016, I give you my life, I give you my love, I give you my all in all, and I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you give the Lord a hand this morning? Hallelujah. I have a feeling as we get into these next subjects, it's going to move right along quick. But I also believe that it's going to encourage your faith. So come on back, even when we're not here. This Wednesday, we're going to have uh, our first of the month prayer time, Wednesday morning, 9 a.m., and uh, Brother Drew is going to head that up. If you need prayer, if you just want to come and pray, uh, he is going to be in the prayer room, which is when you first walk in the front doors, keep going straight till you walk right into that little room there. He'll be there waiting for you, 9 a.m. Wednesday. So great time to pray for anyone who can come in that day. I love y'all. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, Brother Ken is teaching this Wednesday night, adult Bible study. And you're going to be doing it in the next few weeks, correct? Yet your topic, I'm, and I forgive me, I, I meant to ask you what it was. Oh, anybody like to be in the presence of God? This Wednesday, 
7 p.m. I'm telling you, we have some awesome teachers. And if Bill was in here today, I'd I'd say thank you, Bill, but they're on vacation, so bless Bill. Uh, And and David, where's David at? Is he out here too? Anyhow, he's a great teacher. Brian, we've got awesome teachers in this church, so don't miss this. Don't miss this. And our Bible Training Institute is another great way to study and show yourself approved. That's Thursday night at 6.30 p.m. And who's been going to that? Raise your hand. You're a Bible student. Bible st- Mount Hope Bible Training Institute. Yeah, look at it. Look at that. That's awesome. Hallelujah. These are God's people. And here's what I've been hearing lately is that the Lord keeps planting these different ministries on the hearts of our people. And we've got some stuff that's coming It's going to be awesome because you guys are showing yourselves approved and you're rightly dividing the word of truth. So keep it up. Keep the good work up. This church is going to bust loose sooner than later. And if you're not plugged in, get plugged into some kind of ministry. Learn to serve the body as well as the Lord because by serving the body, you serve the Lord. And yada, yada. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. We pray that you would cement this message into our hearts, these foundational truths. Lord, help the people to study to show themselves approved, workmen who can be trusted, Lord. Today, we ask that you'd keep us all safe, especially those who are traveling. We know many are on the road this week for uh, spring break. Keep them safe. Loose angels around them if need be. And Lord... We pray that you would help each one of us to find somebody that we can pray for and invite to church. God, help us to be a witness to what you've done in us. And Lord, bless the short, snacky time after service. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Have a great week in Jesus. We pray you enjoyed this message from Pastor Norm Oberlin. If you would like to partner with Mount Hope Church, you can make your tax-deductible donation online at GaylorChurch.com. From there, just click on Give Online Now. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to be with you again next week.